We're going to heaven today. Don't you wish we really were, man? I mean, we are going to go to heaven in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. That's where we are in our study. You can go ahead and be turning there. But, oh, buddy, man, it's, it's going to be a great day, isn't it? Uh, man, I, you know, it, it's, it's kind of weird. I, I've been here for over 14 years now. I came, I was a young man, and, you know, we, we had uh, Jim Herman's funeral here just a couple of weeks ago, which still is kind of like a dream, you know? I mean, it's like, no, that, that didn't, didn't really happen, but we had the meal afterwards and had this uh, pastor from uh, a nearby county that was, was there, and and uh, he came up to me afterwards and said, you know, maybe sometime we could go to lunch. I'd like to just kind of pick your brain. You know, I, I like to get around older guys in the ministry. And uh, so after I beat the devil out of him, for the glory of God, um, and, and then, you know, two weeks ago I was in Monmouth, Illinois, and all this pastor did the whole week was dog me about how old I was, you know, and I... I'm like, what is happening here, you know? I mean, I, I, people used to come here and say, yeah, that's the pastor, the, the, the church that has those four young pastors, or three young pastors, and Joe, you know? Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, he is, he's the third youngest in the group, actually. He just looks the oldest. Um <clears throat> But, you know, I mean, through the years uh, around here, um, oh, my goodness, you know, the people that, that we've seen leave this place and go to heaven, you know, just think back of Harry Wyatt used to stand back there at the back doors, and Clarence Slenderman, and, uh, oh, I mean, just go through the list, Bill Gerber and uh, Joanne Schonk. And just here recently, Jim Herman, all these folks who have already gone to heaven. And in Revelation chapter 4 this morning, that's where John takes us. We get to go there through the pages of the Word of God. And he, he takes us to a time immediately after the rapture of the church. Now, what John does here in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is he takes us with him to heaven to a time immediately after the rapture of the church. And what he does in Revelation chapter 4, now check this out and don't miss this. What he does in Revelation chapter 4 is he writes about what he actually saw as he was actually there. I mean, it's, it's kind of wild. Now, now, think about this. We're going to go back and have a man who lived in 95 A.D. tell us about what he actually saw that, to this point in 1997, hasn't happened yet. No, wait, wait, wait. Say that again. We're going to go back to this guy in, in 95 A.D., who's writing about something he actually saw with his eyes and recorded, but it hasn't happened yet? You see, that's why I've entitled today, Back to the Future. And I'll remind you that what the book of Revelation is, this is not a dream that John had. He's not writing about a, a vision that he had because he ate pizza too late one one night back there in 95 AD he, he's not he's not writing about some fictitious thing that he concocted it, it's not a fantasy listen he, he's writing about a vision that he had of something that actually happened I mean he saw it with his own eyes he actually saw the future you say, well, how can someone see and experience something that hasn't happened yet? Well, well keep in mind that, that God is not locked, locked into time and space the same way that we are. God is the God that we found out in chapter 1, is a God who transcends time. He is He which is and which was and which is to come and all of those at the very same time. God lives in the past, 
He lives in the present and he lives in the future. You say, I don't get it. Okay, well, join the club. I don't either. Because understand that what you got here is a guy that is trying to explain the infinite in words of the finite. And here we are, all finite people, trying to understand and tap into the, the infinite. Okay, But understand, what we find in the book of Revelation is something that John actually saw. He says to him, Write the things which thou hast seen. And you know what's really wild about this, y'all? If, if what John is writing about in, in chapter 4 is what takes place immediately after the rapture of the church, do you realize this morning that among those whom John saw, he saw us? Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> I mean, just think about that. I mean, if he actually was seeing something that took place in heaven immediately after the rapture, if you know him this morning, John's up there going, What's up, homie? Yeah, cool. I mean, it, wow, I, I don't know what that does to your mind, man. Mine, tilt, you know. Wow. I mean, and, and listen, there's just so much going on here. I think what we probably ought to do is, is read it together. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. One sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. That and before the throne there was a sea of glass like under crystal and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind and the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf and the third beast had a face as a man and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And now, Lord, this morning, we ask that You would you direct us. We pray that you would help us to have the understanding of your word that we need to have to comprehend this infinite thing that, that John writes about. So give us insight. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you can see here in, in Revelation chapter 4, we're, we're, we're not just dealing with simplistic things here. I mean, we've got seven spirits of God and four beasts before the throne and 
four and twenty elders, and I mean, there, there's just a, a whole lot of a lot of deep things that are going on here. And and quite honestly, we've got a room full of people here this morning that are at all kinds of different levels with their biblical understanding. Okay, that doesn't mean that some people are better than another or anything like that. It, it's just a matter of of some folks are just man you, you've only been saved for a couple of weeks and some of you for a couple of months maybe a year or two and then there's others of you that man you've been a student of the word of god for for years and years and years and so you see it, it's not just as easy as us just diving in and saying blah 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 because man it, it's kind of like when you were in high school uh they had some math that they wanted to, to teach you and along the way in 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 high school you took algebra okay and you, you took algebra and you learned some things, but algebra came before geometry. Now, geometry is something different than algebra, but it, you see, in order to, to really work the theorems that you've got to do in geometry, which I've never quite figured out why you have to do that anyway, but in order to, to do this geometry junk, you've you got you to gotta learn this algebra stuff back here because those are going to be the very basic components that you're going to use to, to prove it if I can remember anything at all about it and I've tried to forget as much as I could but to, to really understand what's going on in chapter 4 I feel like what we need to do is take the time to make sure that we're all working off of the same basic understandings for, for example we're going to talk about heaven here obviously in chapter 4 but did you know that there are actually three heavens in the Bible? Not seven, like the Roman Catholic teach, but, but there are three. Now, could you this morning, could you, could you stand and could you explain to us the three heavens that are in the Bible? And then also, obviously, we're talking in chapter 4 about the rapture, but did you know that there are three raptures? in the Bible now, so could could you stand up this morning and could you could you give us a little dissertation on the three raptures in the Bible and then Jesus gave us three signs three very specific signs that point to his coming could could you give us the three signs that point to the, the rapture so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to try to just get some basic understandings that can help us to to comprehend the things that are going on here in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get a lot of pieces out on the table and so that next week we can come together and just, man, hop right into verse 1. But now, now listen, don't veg out, man. You've got to get this. Okay, you'll never understand geometry if you don't get this algebra thing here. And so this morning we're doing a little biblical algebra so that we can go to the geometry of Revelation chapter 4. And basically what we're going to talk about this morning are the three heavens, the three raptures, and the three signs, and that'll be our outline. You say, well, what's up with, with all these threes in, anyway? Well, many of you know that have been around here for any length of time that uh, you, you've already come through this. Let, let me just pick everyone up for about two minutes here, okay, so you veg out, you know, redecorate your living room, whatever you need to do right now. But one of the things that you really need to understand if you're going to understand the Bible is the simple fact that God is a triune God. That is, that he is made up of three persons, and yet he's one. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, what it says is that when God created the physical universe, what he did is he used a pattern. Now, if it's just God, and he's going to make the universe according to a pattern, then what do you reckon that he used? He used himself. And so since God is a triune being, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, that's why everything that is physical in this entire universe breaks down into a system of threes. Absolutely, everything God made will always break down into a system of threes. For example, we talk about man. And man is made up of three parts, a body, a soul, and a spirit. We talk about the, the environment, and we talk about the land, the sea, and the air. We talk about dimensions, and we talk about height and width and depth. We talk about colors. Oh, there's so many colors. No, there's only three that make up all of the other colors. Red, yellow, and blue. We learned that in, in kindergarten. Primary colors. 
three of them. We talk about the elements, and you've got a solid, a liquid, and a gas. And I mean, we could just, how long do you want to go with this? I mean, you can go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I mean, it's just, that's the way that God made everything in the universe after a pattern of himself. And you see, when you find it, I mean, you break it down into the absolute lowest common denominator, what we find is that everything is made up of atoms. And atom is, coincidentally enough, protons, neutrons, and electrons. Uh, again, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So it, you see, it really shouldn't be too surprising that when the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about three. Because, you see, it was all made according to a pattern, a pattern of God himself. Okay, three heavens. Let's talk about it. The first heaven corresponds to what we would call the atmosphere the atmosphere it's located from the ground to the clouds okay this is where the the birds and the airplanes fly and the clouds float in fact we even see in in the book of mark chapter 14 talked about christ coming in the clouds of heaven okay that's in the atmosphere okay the second heaven corresponds to what we would call today Outer space, outer space, it's, it's located up where the, the sun, the moon, and the stars are. I mean, we, we make the statement, you know, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars are in the heavens, right? Okay, and then there is the third heaven. And of course, the third heaven is the abode of God, the abode of God, or where God dwells. And listen, it's located beyond all the constellations and galaxies and star clusters and whatever else is out there and, and make sure that you understand that this is a physical place it, it is a geographic location it is not contrary to popular opinion it, it is not a, a state of mind it, it, it's not what you make it it's a literal, physical place that is called heaven, and this one more specifically, the third heaven. And it is precisely this place to which John was raptured in Revelation chapter 4 when he says, After this I looked and beheld, behold, a door was opened in heaven. And drop down to verse 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. Okay, that's that, that third heaven because it's the abode of God and one sat on the throne. Now, this third heaven is further identified in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So turn back there if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is, is talking about a, a similar experience that, that he had much like the one that John is writing about there in Revelation 4.1 where he's caught up to the third heaven. And look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ. Okay, now notice this little terminology here. I knew a man, and so it's like, you know, I knew this, this guy one time. And it's not that he's writing about himself. I knew a man, and, and this is just uh, in that Asian culture, this is just a, a figure of speech. A lot of times when uh, people are talking, you know, you've heard like in the moving, mo movies, they'll come before, you know, the king, and the guy's talking about himself, and he says, your servant is here to carry out your every command. Okay, where is this guy? He's talking about himself, right? Same exact gig that you got going on here as Paul is writing about this thing. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I can't tell, God knows. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And again, it's the same exact experience that John had. The only real difference is that you'll notice in verse 4, Paul tells you that he wasn't permitted to write about the things he saw where John was commanded in Revelation 1.11 where the Lord says to him, what thou seest, write 
in a book, and of course that book is now what we call the book of Revelation in our, in our Bibles. Okay, so we're, we're seeing this thing of the third heaven, the place where God dwells. Now, now go to Psalm 148, and let me show you all three of these heavens in the same passage, Psalm 148. Now keep in mind what we're doing here is we're just collecting pieces right now to help us to fully comprehend what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 4 and just give you some basic understandings of some things that can really help you as you approach your Bible and your own personal study. Psalm 148. And let's pick up in, in verse 1. It says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Watch this now. From the heavens. Okay, plural. Okay, now, now watch the breakdown of this thing. Praise Him in the heights. Okay, here comes the third heaven. In the heights. Verse 2. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. You see, this is the abode of God. Praise Him there, the psalmist says. And then in verse 3, we see the second heaven. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise ye Him, ye heavens of heavens. Okay, now watch this very carefully. And ye waters that be above the heavens. And what in the world is that? The, the waters that are above the sun and the moon and the stars... You see, and those waters are what the Bible calls the deep. The deep. And we're going we're gonna to get into this thing next week. I'm going to give you enough to chew on right, right now to let you know that God says beyond the sun and the moon and the stars, there is the deep. And it's where you might expect to find Leviathan in Job chapter 41. If you go check it out this week, and we, we've studied Leviathan before, out there beyond the sun, moon, and the stars, God says there's, there's water there. And there's this guy, Leviathan, that passes through that thing, and he says it, it makes the, the, the heavens hoary. And they're white, like Joe's hair. Verse 5. I don't know what's up with that, Joe, man. You, you're the man, though. Verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Okay, now, no, remember, we're, we're talking about that second heaven, all that's there. Verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. And, and then here comes the first heaven. Verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps. And this is a different kind of deep now. This is the deep on the earth, like you might talk about the Mediterranean, the Pacific, and all of that. But please don't confuse that other deep. Because it's, you know, it's a whole lot deeper than the Mediterranean or the Pacific or the Atlantic. Okay, but that's what he's talking about in, in, in verse 7. And he goes on to describe all the, the things in the atmosphere down to the earth. Verse 8, fire and hail, snow and vapors, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. And what he does in this passage, as you can see, he works us from the third heaven where he dwells along with the angels and the hosts of heaven, and he brings us all the way down to the earth and the earth's atmosphere, but he passes us through that, that second heaven along the way. So that's the identification of this third heaven. But now let's, let's talk a second about its illustration. God, God tells us exactly what these three heavens are like. He, he tells us that they're like the tabernacle in the Old Testament. I mean, if you want to know what the, the layout 
of the universe is and knows specifically where the dwelling place of God is and, and what it's like, God says, okay, this is really not that tough. Just look at the tabernacle because it's a perfect illustration of it. And let me take you to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Now, you guys, are, are you tracking with me? Is all this just real simple for you to, to comprehend? Okay, well, good, because you, you'll, you'll need this stuff next week. Hebrews chapter 8, and look at verse 1. Now, the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Okay, let, let me summarize what I've been talking about here for you guys. Okay? We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Okay, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's trying to get these, these Hebrews to understand that Christ is our high priest. He's trying to get them out of all of the, the pictures of that in the Old Testament to the reality, to Christ himself. Okay, so you know, he, he, he's, he's showing... We've got this high priest, okay? Don't miss this. All this was a picture, okay? Now, this is the reality, verse 2. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. Okay, now Moses pitched a tabernacle in the Old Testament, and God told him to do that. But what he's letting you know here is there is a true tabernacle tabernacle that Moses didn't pitch God himself pitched a tabernacle okay now you, you following that you see that's not really that tough is it verse 3 for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer for if he were on earth he should not be a priest seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as moses was admonished of god when he was about to make the tabernacle for see saith he now watch this that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount and what god was telling moses is i want you to build a tabernacle here on the earth and this will be my dwelling place on the earth but now listen moses when you make it, I want to make sure that you understand. I'm not just asking you to haul off and build a place. I've got a pattern that I want you to use, and that pattern that I'm going to give to you is just like the one that's in the heavens. You see the same thing over in chapter 9 and verse 23. Look at it. The tabernacle on earth was made according to the pattern of things in the heavens, in verse 24, lets you know the earthly tabernacle was nothing more than a figure of the true tabernacle in the heavens. Okay, and, and as you look at that Old Testament tabernacle, you know what you find? You find out that it was laid out according to three parts. Wow, imagine that. It had, first of all, it had an outer court. And you see that outer court corresponds to the first heaven. It also had a holy place, which corresponds to the second heaven. And then it had the holy of holies, the place where God actually dwelt. And it, of course, corresponds to the third heaven. So that's what it's like. The third heaven is like the most holy place in the tabernacle. It's an illustration of it. But where is this most holy place in the heavens, the, the, the third heaven? What is its location? Well, we've already identified the, the fact that it's above the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the galaxies, and the the constellations, but but where is it? You see, this is what freaks a lot of people out. You know, the, the Russians went up and and they came back and said, you know what, we're up there, boys and girls, and it's not there. This heaven thing, it's just not there. Well, 
we're going to see in just a little while, there's some waters that are out there. You ain't going to see it. You ain't going to, you ain't with any kind of technology going to pass through those, those waters. But, but where is this, this place that we're, we're talking about going to someday and we're living for and, and anticipating being reunited with those that we love and, and my goodness, be, be reunited and see face to face the Lord Jesus Christ. Where, where is this place? Somebody said, oh, come on, you can't know that. I mean, that's impossible to know that. No, it isn't. The Bible teaches that the dwelling place of God is located in a specific direction and place in the universe. I want to show you this this morning. It's in a specific direction and place in the universe. Okay, now don't, don't, get, don't get tired on me. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, and of course Isaiah 14 is the chapter that records the fall of whom? Lucifer, right? But what this does is it shows the iniquity that was found in the anointed cherub, Lucifer. And keep in mind here, okay, now I'm not filling time as you turn. Now listen, remember that Ezekiel 28 lets us know exactly where he was when that iniquity was found in him. Now don't be shy, where was he when that iniquity was found in him? He was in, good, he was in Eden, the garden of God, Ezekiel 28, 13. Okay, he lets us know exactly where he is. When that iniquity was found in him, and that iniquity is spelled out for us here in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, God says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Okay, this is Lucifer from a throne on the earth, says, I will ascend into heaven. And now he's about to let you know where heaven, the third heaven is. He says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. We've already seen that. It's above the stars. Now watch this. I will sit also. I want to sit where you're sitting. Okay. Where is he sitting? He's sitting in the third heaven, right? Where is that? Okay. He's going to tell us. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Okay. So now just check that out. In the sides of the north. Now, turn back to Psalm 48. Psalm 48. And notice with me, if you will, verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Okay, well, that's what we're trying to locate here. Verse 2. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Now, now I understand there was an earthly Zion, an earthly Jerusalem that was representative of a heavenly Zion. But if you'll notice what verse 2 lets you know here is this, this is the same one that Lucifer from his throne in Eden wanted to ascend to. Now, now understand something. Lucifer's throne would have been in earthly Zion. That's where Eden was. He's not saying, man, I really want to be in Zion. He's there. I, I want this thing. I want it there. Where? In the sides of the north. Now, now turn over to Psalm 75. And I love this. Psalm 75, this is a kick, man. Psalm 75, look, look with me at, at verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west 
nor from the south. Okay, now there's only one direction left, y'all. Of course, that's the direction that he's wanting to highlight. But just for a little bit of humor, the Holy Spirit substitutes the word God for the direction in verse 7. But God is the judge. Okay? Promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one, down one and setteth up another. In other words, he's the one from which promotion cometh. And he's not in the east. And he's not in the west. And he's not in the south. You got it? Okay. Now, you know what? If, if you're ever out there, okay, if you're ever out there in the world and you find yourself lost, you know what? It's a great thing to have a, a compass. And you know, no matter what direction you're facing, you know where that compass is going to point? To the north. Some of you don't understand how a compass works. It points to the north. And if you don't have a compass, and you look in the sky, and you want to you want to find your direction, then look for the north star. Because you see, it has something to do with being lost. And you see, some of you folks are in this room here this morning. And quite honestly, biblically, you're lost. And you know what God did for you today? He brought you to a church service. You know what this church service is today? It's a compass for you. To point you to the north. Because there's one in the north who can save your soul. Man, if you're lost, you need direction. Look to God. And, and if you wonder whether or not it's true that promotion cometh from the north, then you know what? If you don't have a compass, then just read the record of, of history. Because as you go back through history, you go back into Daniel's prophecy it, it, where he talks about the four world powers, what you find is Egypt was conquered by Babylon north of Egypt. And Babylon was conquered by Persia north of Babylon. And Persia was conquered by Greece north of Persia. Greece was conquered by Rome north of Greece Rome was conquered by the Huns of Germany, north of Rome. And Germany has been defeated in two world wars by England, north of England. And as much as this southern boy hates to admit it, <laughs> not because of the outcome, obviously. I'm not, I'm, it's just you hate to lose, you know? And lo and behold, them Yankees from the north. And uh, shut up. <laughs> Probably rooted from Michigan yesterday, too, Kenny. Along with everybody else that's going to hell. <laughs> amen? <laughs> See? Preachers know how to get an amen out of the crowd, buddy. Just get on to football. Okay, Job 26. Job 26. And look with me, if you would, Job 26, verse 7. Hear it again. We see one more time. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place. And again, we're going we're gonna to get into that empty place next week. He stretched out the north over the empty place, and now watch this, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. You know what's wild? Science didn't figure this out until 400 years ago. You understand that? They didn't know that simple little principle right there in Job 26. They didn't know it as recently as 400 years ago 
The book of Job is approximately 3,500 years old. You understand? It's the oldest book of the Bible. Oh, no, not no. It's the book of Genesis. No, the events in Genesis are older. This is the oldest book of the Bible, and in the oldest book of the Bible written 3,500 years ago, they already understood what it, you know, science. It, it takes them just, you know, a little while. They're doing, bless their hearts, they're doing the best they can to catch up with the Bible. And, and you see, when science contradicts the Bible, just give them a little more time. O, o, over in Paris right now, there's five and a half miles of science books that have had to be updated. Never had to update that one. Now, it's just taken science a little while to catch up with that stuff and just believe what it says, which is what all of us ought to do, right? Verse 8, he, he bindeth up. Oh, my goodness, here that thing is again. He's talking about the north, the empty place, and he bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds. It's the deep. And the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of his throne. No wonder the cosmonauts couldn't see it. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. And what God's letting you know is that there's heavenly waters that he calls the deep that hide the face of his throne. Now listen. In the same way that the veil in the tabernacle separated the holy place from the outer court and the outer court from the holy of holies. There was a veil there. And God says, if you want to know what the universe is like, then look at the tabernacle and you see there's a veil that separates the abode of God from the other two parts of that tabernacle. So, that's the synopsis of the, the three heavens. And hopefully as we start seeing some things in Revelation chapter 4, that'll give you some background information that you need to really understand what John was actually seeing there and all that stuff in Revelation chapter 4. Now let's talk about the three raptures. I know some of you know, I had the three heaven thing down. What's up with this three rapture stuff? Well, you'll notice if you're still over in... Revelation 4, it's probably easy for you to find it. Why don't you go back there? You'll notice in, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 that John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, now, now watch this, Come up hither. Now, we believe, as the Scripture says, that every word of God is pure. Amen? But we don't believe there's any filler. We don't believe that when, when God uses words that, that oh, I forgot what I said back here or, or that he's just, you know, haphazardly going through this thing, we believe that God chooses every single word of this book. And you notice this, this little phrase, come up hither. Now, something interesting is the fact that that particular phrase appears three times in the Bible just that way. The first one is in Proverbs 25 and verse 7 where it says this, For better is it that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. The second one is right here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And then the third one is in Revelation chapter 11. Why don't you go ahead and turn over there and just get it under your belt. We'll talk about it in a few hours. <laughs> just kidding. Revelation chapter 11, and notice verse 12. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Okay, Three times, the same exact phrase, and what's significant about that is all three of those references refer to a rapture of saints in three different dispensations. The, the come up hither of Proverbs 25 and verse 7 
is the rapture of Old Testament saints that would have taken place at the resurrection of Christ. Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 and 53, it says that after the resurrection, listen to it, the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, what it says is that when Jesus Christ died, He descended into the lower parts of the earth. Okay, now listen. That's where the soul and spirits of the Old Testament saints would have been held until Christ's resurrection. In the lower parts of the earth, it's what Luke 16 calls Abraham's bosom. It's what Jesus was saying to the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in... Talk to me. In in paradise. Okay? And what we learn is that Old Testament saints were held in Abraham's bosom, paradise, in the lower parts of the earth until the resurrection of Christ. And Ephesians 4 says that what he did is he descended into the lower parts of the earth, and when he ascended, listen, he led captivity captive. That's the first rapture. Okay? And then, of course, the come up hither of Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is the the rapture of New Testament saints of the church age. New Testament saints of the church age. And this is the rapture that is detailed for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 49 to 53 along with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And let me ask you to turn back there, if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me, let me show you the progression of, of this, this thing, this rapture of, of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pick up in verse 13. Paul writing to these people who had seen some of their loved ones. We find this out in Acts chapter 17. Uh, a great uproar had taken place in the city of Thessalonica. Persecution. Many of the people there had, had died because of their faith in Christ. And they were anticipating the Lord's return at any moment. And they had never kind of figured into the equation that maybe somebody was going to die before that time. And so they're all freaked out about, oh my goodness, what is this going to mean? Because now they died before the Lord came back. And so, they, I mean, did they miss it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says in verse 13, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And the word asleep is very consistently used in the New Testament to refer to believers in Jesus Christ who have died. Believers only. Okay? But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will... What's the next word? God. Wait, who, who, who's coming? Jesus. Who, who's Jesus, y'all? Okay, thank you. He's God. Will God bring with him, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord and I don't know if you noticed or not I was trying to emphasize some key words there that line up perfectly with Revelation chapter 4 heaven opening the Lord descending the voice, the trumpet, the shout, or the come up hither, which will be the words, and those on the earth caught up or or raptured to meet the Lord in heaven? Where? In in the air. Okay, and and if you've ever wondered about what the significance, uh, now listen carefully, if you ever wonder what the significance was of 
heaven opening and the Lord descending and meeting him in the air and then him taking us to the third heaven. Well, don't forget about that deep that's between the second heaven and the third heaven. And you see, just like God's deliverer Moses, who was a picture of Christ, led the people out of Egypt, a picture of the world, through the parting of the Red Seas, and just like Joshua, Jesus in the Old Testament, led the people of God to the promised land through the parted waters of the Jordan, there's coming a day in the not-too-distant future when the Father is going to say to the Son, it's time. And He's going to stand just like Stephen saw Him in the book of Acts. Heaven's going to open. The Lord Himself is going to descend. He's going to meet us in the air and He's going to lead His people out of this world and into the land of our promise through the parted waters of the deep. Imagine that. I mean, it's almost like this is a supernatural book, isn't it? I mean, God doesn't put anything in there by accident. Oh, isn't that a nice little children's story there? Moses, he parted the wall. Oh, man, God's just saying, oh, buddy, there is coming a day when my son is going to part some waters, and there's people coming through that thing to the other side. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 51, it lets us know about this thing of the rapture. It lets us know that it's a mystery. And that is, it was a mystery. It was a mystery in the Old Testament. That is, it wasn't revealed there. It was revealed in the New Testament. Oh, but buddy, there's some unmistakable pictures of that back there. First of all, there's Enoch. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 5, and you don't need to do that right now, but, but just listen. If you go back to Genesis chapter 5, what you find is this guy Enoch is the great-grandfather of Noah. And that's significant because that would mean that he lived at a time just prior to the flood when God exercised his judgment on a generation that Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 says, whose wickedness was great in the earth and every thought and imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. Does it sound a whole lot like the time that you and I live in? Exactly. But something very significant took place in Enoch's life. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. And Hebrews 11.5 lets you know what God meant when it says that he was not. Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith Enoch was translated or raptured that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him, raptured him. The Russians have the cosmonauts. The Americans have the astronauts. Enoch was a was not. <laughs> Along with all of us that know the Lord this morning, we're a was not. E Enoch is an Old Testament picture of the raptured church of Jesus Christ, and just as Enoch was taken out before the judgment of God was about to be poured out on the world in the flood, so the church of Jesus Christ will be taken out before the judgment of God is poured out again, this time in what is called the Great Tribulation. There's another one. Lot, who again, same exact thing, was removed from the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah before God's judgment was unleashed on it. And then there's a, a, a beautiful picture of it that we saw about a year or so ago in our study of the book of Ruth. And, and, and now listen, listen real carefully. The story of Ruth is all about a Gentile young lady who is from a cursed race. 
This young lady is absolutely destitute, but there comes a day when she hears word from a far country that the Lord had visited His people in Bethlehem in giving them bread. So by faith, she goes there. Upon her arrival there, she finds that it's, it's harvest time. So she begins to look for a landowner in whose eyes she might find grace, one who might allow her to come onto his property at harvest time and glean in the field, coming behind the reapers that were in the field and glean. And what the book of Ruth says is that it just happened. I mean, it just happened to end up where she goes into the field of the one man on this planet who could be for her her kinsman redeemer. And so she goes into his field to come behind the reapers to glean. Now, if you happen to be newer to the Bible, understand that we all are a part of a cursed race. It's called the human race. And spiritually, before God, we are all absolutely, totally destitute. Spiritually, we are bankrupt before God. But God Himself became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. That is, He became our kinsman after the flesh. That's what the book of Hebrews says. He became our kinsman after the flesh, being born in the city of Bethlehem as the bread of life for the purpose of dying on the cross to redeem us from our sin. And once by faith we exercise that faith in Him and we receive Him into our life, what he tells us is that until he comes, he wants us to glean in his field. And now listen, Matthew 13 tells us the field is the world. The reapers are the angels. The harvest is the end of the world. Now listen, in Ruth chapter 2, in verse 14, you know what it says? L listen to it. It says that at mealtime, at mealtime, the Jewish kinsman redeemer from the city of Bethlehem calls this Gentile young lady out of his harvest field to be his bride. And you know how he calls her out? Come Thou hither. An unbelievable picture of the rapture of the church, the Gentile bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Jewish kinsman, Redeemer. And listen, by the signs that Jesus Himself gave to us, that we ought to be looking at, so that we can know to be anticipating that event. Listen, the signs are all pointing to the fact that it's very, very near. We'll take just a quick look at those three signs in just a second, but let's pick up that third rapture. That The first one, again, is the rapture of the Old Testament saints. It's already taken place. It took place at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second one is the rapture of New Testament saints in the church age, which we're anticipating at any moment. Amen? And then the third rapture, the third come up hither, is as we saw in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 12. And the reason so many people get so confused in the book of Revelation is they don't understand. Three come up hithers. Three raptures. This has absolutely nothing to do with the church of Jesus Christ. What Revelation chapter 11 and verse 12 is, is the rapture of tribulation saints at the end of the tribulation. There's a there's another rapture, y'all. There's another rapture. Okay, now let's let's talk for just a second about those signs, if we could. 
the signs. Three signs. Turn to Matthew 24, and we'll just do this very, very quickly. First of all, is the sign of the fig tree. Sign of the fig tree. Jesus says in Matthew 24, look at verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near. Even at the doors, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. The first sign is the sign of the fig tree. The fig tree, and if you're newer to the Bible again, the fig tree is the nation of Israel. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who prophesied the destruction of, uh, of, of the nation of Israel, and all through the Old Testament prophesied that they would be scattered into every nation of the world, he says, now listen, they're going to be out of their homeland. They'll no longer be a nation, though they'll remain a people. But he says, when you see that fig tree, when you, when you see that thing, and, it, and its branches are, are tender, and it's starting to put forth his leaves, you better watch it. Because all of this is about to take place. You, you better watch it. And now listen, in 1948, the nation of Israel, after almost 2,000 years of not having a homeland and not having a nation, or a, a, a place to call their own, you know what happened in 1948? It began to put forth some branches. began to put forth some leaves. Jesus says, don't miss that sign. All this is going to start taking place shortly thereafter. You know, you, you can look at a fig tree and you know when summer's coming. When it, those, those, you got about two months there. After you see those leaves starting to come, and you know summer's coming. Hey, you know that. And he says, don't miss it. There's a, there's a sign there. And then the next one, the next sign is the sign of the days of Noah. The sign of the days of Noah. Look at verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I wonder what that was like. Whereas in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He says what's going to happen is it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. Everyone's going to be out there just having a big old time, not concerning themselves whatsoever with the fact that judgment was about to fall, and bam. But something else, if... If you want to know about the days of Noah, you don't have to look too hard. Did you know that? Because you come through Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, which records the fall of man. Chapter 4 is Cain and Abel. Chapter 5 of Genesis is nothing more than a uh, genealogy. Chapter 6 is Noah. That's it. That's it. That's all you got. So I mean, if you want to know what the days of Noah were, go back and check it out. You know what it was? All kinds of weird things going on in the demonic world. And Jesus says, now, now listen, it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. So when you see that stuff happening, you got all this alien junk that's going on and all of these things out there that are, that are happening... It's going to be just like that when he comes. Okay? And then the sign of the days of Lot is the third one. Luke 17. We won't take the time to go there. Luke 17. You can look at it later. But listen. If you want to know what the days of Lot were like. Again, it's not real tough. I mean, it's not like you've got to go read, you know, 10 trillion volumes. Just read Genesis 18 and 19. And you know what you find out? You know what brought the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah? You know what it was? Homosexuals. Sodom and Gomorrah was full and running over with homosexuals. Jesus says, 
same way it's going to be when I come again. Signs are there. Some of you that are in this room this morning, you're lost. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you see what I'm saying? This, This service for you today, it's a compass. God brought you here to point you in the direction of Himself. What more does He need to do? What more does He... You know, I just need to be convinced. Okay. What more convincing thing can He do than what He's already done? If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, now, now listen, if God is speaking to you today, I'm begging you, Don't turn him off. He says, today, if you'll hear my voice, harden not your heart. Do you you hear him today? Is God pointing you to himself today? As our service is concluded, our pastors are going to be up on either side of the front of the worship center, right up here. They're positioning themselves for you so that you might just walk up and say, you know, I've got some questions. Or I'd like to talk to somebody about how to enter this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I'm begging you today, if the Lord is speaking to your heart, don't walk out the door. There's nothing more important than you coming into this relationship because, listen, the signs are all pointing to the fact that we don't have much time left. In fact, you know what? All of those signs that we just talked about are actually signs of something that is going to take place seven years after the rapture of the church, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ to this planet. So listen, if you thought it was soon, it's seven years sooner than you thought. That's how soon it is. Let's pray. And now, Lord, I do pray for those that are in our midst that have never received you as as their Savior. We thank you for this incredible Bible, this incredible supernatural book that you placed in our hands. And we, we pray today that the Spirit of God would take that truth from your Word to the hearts of people. And I pray that on this day, there would be people that are in this room that have a supernatural experience in their life, when by faith they come to you, you take their sins away. So Lord, I I, I pray today that people would respond in obedience to what you're trying to show them in this service today. May people be saved. And oh God, Thank you for the glorious promise that is ours, those of us that know you. One of these days, we too will hear that come up hither. And you'll remove us off of this planet to meet us in the air, to bring us through the parted waters of the deep into your presence, and so shall we ever be with you. We praise you for that hope, that blessed hope that is ours this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.